everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under category like fragrances and handbags or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's macy's.com slash gift finder today. This is The Run Through. I'm Chloe Mel. And I'm Joe Minardi. <laughs> And I'm struggling to find where we are on the script. I'm in. I'm midway down. Is there a top bar? Is it the thing that says script on the top? Oh dear, I'm in headlines. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, we have Elle Fanning of The Great and also Who Is Great. And the photographer behind the most recent Vogue cover, which just dropped, featuring the one and only Margot Robbie, Barbie herself. He's going to give us the inside scoop on what it's like shooting a cover for Vogue magazine. But as always, we have to start with our fashion and culture news. And we're lucky enough to have someone who's joining us in the studio today. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Sarah Spellings. I'm fashion news editor for Vogue.com. So, big week for fashion news. Yes, very. (laughs) (laughs) The Cannes Film Festival is going, one of the biggest red carpets of the year, if not the biggest. It does feel like it, right? It feels like it's it's eclipsed the Oscars Mm -hmm. with excitement and people play more. I don't know what, I think I guess there's just less, less pressure. What have been some of the highlights so far? So far, I loved Naomi Campbell and feathered pink Valentino. It was just really pretty. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence looked really stunning in this very classic lipstick red Dior ball gown with a stole. It was so old Hollywood, but she wore it with flip-flops. Yeah, can we talk about the the shoe shoe debacle? um, Always a thing at Cannes. So Cannes used to have, and I don't think it was ever official, but it was a enforced unofficial rule that you had to wear stilettos if you're a woman walking the red carpet. It's so crazy. It's so, so un- it's like so <laughs> archaic. Yeah, it's so archaic. And of course, people started to, you know, defy it. Kristen Stewart famously 
took off her heels when she was a jury member, so it was a big deal. And she walked the red carpet barefoot. Julia Roberts also walked the red carpet barefoot, I think, in 2016. And there have been reports over the years of people getting turned away from events because they're not wearing high heels. And so it is kind of a big deal. But this year you see a lot of people, you know, wearing flat shoes or non-shoe shoes or barefoot. I know. In- like is that, Isabel Hubert wore some very interesting non-shoe <laughs> shoes. Can you elaborate? Yeah. What does that mean? So well, non-shoe shoes are like <laughs> – they're sometimes like barely their shoes, like the mesh shoes at the row. But sometimes okay. – they're shoes that look like you're not wearing any shoes at all. And so Isabelle Huppert, she was actually wearing heels, but they were molded, flesh-toned heels that kind of looked like hooves almost. Oh, yeah, this is like terrible. Five toes, they were but... a little terrifying for me. Yeah. It's but, a little freaky. Yeah. I like a surprise hoof or a, <laughs> or a flip-flop with a ball gown. <laughs> Keeps Why things interesting. Why did Kate Blanchett not wear shoes? Oh, so she... Um, She went barefoot while she was presenting an award to an Iranian female filmmaker. Um, And it was a statement on women's rights and women's freedom. I mean, she's the first person to go barefoot this year. There's no no other barefoot. (laughs) (laughs) No other barefoot warriors. Barefoot Contessa. But the barefoot trend, (laughs) as I discovered is a big thing. Like men are doing it. Jacob Elodie in in LA just casually going out with his buddies was photographed walking around barefoot in LA. I'm and sorry, Sean Mendes. Yeah. <laughs> They're just not wearing shoes. They're not wearing shoes. Is this I mean there was a whole running trend of running grounding. barefoot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also isn't the thing called grounding where okay, it's But much that's about easier. isn't that about like grass? Yeah. This is like you're walking on the sidewalks of Los Angeles. What if there's a shattered beer bottle? <laughs> I don't understand. That'd yeah. be my concern. I think as it's well. a terrible idea. In like a really in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible idea. But it's a trend. It's a trend. <laughs> it's a trend. But it's completely unrelated to the to the red carpet trend of can but also happening. This is when Can and Barefoot Boy Summer collide. It hasn't been the biggest scandal of the week, has it? I mean, we have we have the smoking scandal. Oh, yes. I think this is a scandal specifically within the vintage lovers community. But it's a micro scandal. <laughs> Storm <laughs> in a teacup is yes, what the exactly. British would say. <laughs> Which is the best kind of scandal. That's yes. my favorite. Um, <laughs> Lily Rose Depp attended the Idol premiere wearing a fall 1994 Chanel dress that was the original at Cannes. At Cannes. And she looked amazing. And there was a video of her walking out of her hotel looking, you know, as chic as can be. And she's like smoking a long cigarette. And there's a prominent vintage dealer, uh, Shrimp and Couture who posted on Instagram saying that she thought it was never a good idea to smoke in something so precious and in archival vintage in such a, you know, a dress that Christy Turlington wore. It was kind of disrespectful to be smoking a cigarette before. Because what, the smoke can, like, break down the garment or it just makes it smell? It hangs on the garment. And my understanding is that it's hard to clean. A lot of times when you're buying vintage online, a reputable dealer will say, in a smoke-free, pet-free household or, you know, something oh, to those lines. 
to ensure the buyer that the garment is still in good condition and I guess mostly free of smell. Um, But I think this kind of goes into a larger conversation people are starting to have now that we see so many celebrities it wearing these. It goes back these, to Kim, doesn't it? Ugh, it, it always goes all, back to that goddamn dress. <laughs> it all goes back to Kim. <laughs> I think it was very interesting that she wore it. And I think now we see so many celebrities wearing these holy grail vintage pieces. And so it makes sense that we're also having the conversation around what responsibility do you have to the dress if you're going to wear it. So now that brings up because a lot of people are wearing vintage in an effort to be more eco-friendly and eco-conscious. But now we're worried about the state of the garment, It like the Maryland dress, or now the smoky... Um, the state of the garment? What about the people? <laughs> Choma's highly skeptical. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> so now kidding, people are kidding. recreating <laughs> vintage looks to wear mm-hmm. on the red carpet? Yeah, Natalie Portman wore a recreation of the Dior Junon dress. Gorgeous, gorgeous dress. Absolutely stunning. Strapless white tulle with sort of navy paillette encrusted scallops. Yeah, yeah. And it's from, I think, 1949. And she wore a total recreation of it on the red carpet. By Dior. By Dior, which, sorry to bring up Kim again, but I do think it is a direct, you know, backlash to that Marilyn moment is wearing something from a kind of similar-ish time period. Yeah. But just doing the full recreation. Because the original is in The Met, I think. Okay. Well, it's kind of like couture where – one of the perks of couture is that you're – it's almost like an NFT. Like you are buying this individual artistic output and it's not able to be recreated. And in a way, a vintage garment kind of feels like that. It's like there is yeah. now this mm-hmm. one piece. I don't know. I mean I think it does follow in this trend for nostalgia and we are seeing so many brands, jean Gautier included, reissuing certain collections. Like I own some some pretty sought after Jean-Paul Gaultier pieces that have been recreated – um, does that annoy you? Yeah, it does annoy me because it devalues the one that I have. I mean, I guess there's still maybe really good vintage dealers know the difference between the new. I have, I have, I have two pieces that have been reissued. I I always like to see a bit of sustainability on the right. red carpet as much as it can be, and so I think that's one thing that was so cool about the shift to vintage. But you liked Natalie Portman, which was a recreation. Yes. I think she looked amazing. I think that particular design, it is much better for that dress to stay in the museum. Okay. So it's a fine line here. It's a special occasion moment. I just don't think you need to be doing it with every celebrity. Right. I think one thing for me that's satisfying about seeing vintage is this idea about enduring power of design and that these things really can last and that's something that – is maybe missing from our current fashion moment is the sense that things won't last. And so I get much more satisfaction out of Nicole Kidman wearing the actual 2005 dress and seeing how beautiful it is and how beautiful she is than necessarily a recreation, even though I think Natalie Portman looked amazing. Right. Just it's definitely more special. And it's a full yeah. circle moment because she actually wore that dress and it was hers. Mm-hmm. Right. The Little Mermaid comes out this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, Sarah has been doing some interesting reporting around what we're calling method dressing. What is method dressing? So Halle Bailey is a little mermaid, and she has she has basically done her entire press tour 
um, with her character in mind. So she's taken to the red carpet uh-uh. in looks that are inspired by her character. It sounds um, not like good. ever since the Oscars, she came to the Oscars in a kind of teal, like beautiful blue, full skirted gown that you couldn't look at it and not think Disney princess. Yeah. And I just started noticing that so many celebrities were dressing in character for their press tours. Like, oh wow! Like who else? Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie at Comic-Con came kind of in Barbie and Ken attire. Ryan wore that shirt that said Greta Gerwig in the Barbie font. Mm -hmm. Jenna Ortega also, I think her personal style is so inextricably linked with Wednesday. And now Mm. she's starring in Beetlejuice. And it's so scream queen-y. It just creates this weird little like Ouroboros of... You know, you have Margot Robbie dressing against Barbie, and then you have Barbie core, and then you have the trend reports of Barbie core, and then you have the actual movie, and it just, like, sometimes feels like a snake eating its own tail a mm. little bit. Definitely. I am excited for the movie. I'm excited for Little Mermaid. I'm actually going to go watch it. Mm, you are? Be yeah. Fun. I just need cute. a child to take with me. <laughs> you don't need a child to take with I you. Don't know. You're a strong, independent woman. I feel like there's going to be adults in there. I mean, me and my boyfriend were debating about this. We were like, we both secretly want to go see it. And we're like, whose child can we borrow to go see it? <laughs> you like, rent a kid. <laughs> no. We'll go see it. We'll go see it. I think I think it'll be great. I like that um, poor Melissa McCarthy was getting a lot of shade she about was? Uh, her Ursula makeup. All the oh, drag dear. queens were very upset. <laughs> oh, my God. They said that this really could have been handled better. And it's true that when you look at the pictures, it's like the eyebrows are completely uneven. And it just feels like they, she could have learned a thing or two from Drag Race. Oh, Disney Melissa. fail. Oh, my God. I know. I know. All right, ladies. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank um, you so much for joining us, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. The run-through will be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills, or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes, and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. 
The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome back to the run-through of Vogue. This week's big news in the office at Vogue is the Barbie Vogue cover is finally out. I mean, whew, that was a hard secret to keep, girl. We've been sitting on this for a while. Yeah, I feel, like, relieved. It is, of course, Margot Robbie, and it's amazing. Uh, I mean, it is just everything you want from a Barbie cover. It is Margot Robbie looking amazing in a pink Versace look. And of course, we we had to invite Ethan James Green, who shot that marvelous cover, to come to the studio to learn a little bit more about what it's like to to shoot a cover of that magnitude. And this is a pretty eccentric and fun shoot, and so I think a lot went into it. So it was really fun to hear about the behind the scenes of how that happens, from the set design to run throughs with Anna to feedback between the whole creative team, and they really beautifully transformed Ms. Robbie into a variety of different Barbies. We are so obsessed with your latest cover story. It's so fun. Yeah. Can you describe it for people who can't see it as they're listening? Um, well, the cover is very pink with Margot Robbie, and it's all about Barbie. And it was an incredible shoot. And Gab styled it. And then... Gabriella Karifa Johnson. Yeah. And then our good friend, Julia Wagner, who does set but also is very creative, came up with the concept for each picture. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was so great. Margot was just, like, down to do the best pictures. She's, she wanted to do the best Barbie shoot ever. What, what's she like? Was that your first time meeting her? First time meeting her? She was really easy and... Very professional. And, yeah, just wanted each picture to be the best it could be. It's quite high concept, so I can imagine it was yeah. quite a long day. Well, we shot every single look that we were hoping to. Oh, wow. Which usually you're trimming off, like, two or three. Right. Um, so how many did that end up being? Well, we, we did a cover, a cover try. Um, can you tell people what a cover try means? So cover try, when you do a shoot, for Vogue especially, usually there'll be two looks that you guys are hoping to be on the cover. So you have to approach those two pictures as cover pictures, which is totally different than doing a picture inside a story. It's a lot of pressure, huh? (laughs) It it can be. How does that picture, just for people listening, how does that picture look different from an inside picture? Well, you have to think about, like, the the logo. It has to be simplified a little bit because Mm -hmm. you have all of the text. Um, You also want to try and sum it all up. And for this, like, having the sets and having different characters that she was playing, it wasn't about doing one of those characters. It was more about capturing her 
um, and having that image be the Margot moment. And what, what what did you say when you heard that it was Barbie, <laughs> Margot? This was mm-hmm. kind of outside of your wheelhouse a bit or not so much? I mean, maybe a How little bit. How dare you, Chilmer? No! <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit. Ethan has no wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it when people get outside of their, I don't know, comfort zone. <laughs> I think there was an opportunity to go high concept with it. Right. And that I really get into. And also, Barbie is just such an iconic character. Like, everybody knows who Barbie is. So to be able to play in that world, you don't get that opportunity all the time. How did the concept evolve? Like, so you get the idea and you guys are like, okay, this is an opportunity to do something wild and fun and interesting and highly conceptual. But then what's the next step? How do you decide what that concept is and what it's going to look like? Well, I was asked to do it. And then we had a Zoom call with the Vogue team. And I had to present an idea. And for me, when I was just starting to look through Barbie, I was really excited by the old Barbie ads. And I thought about being a kid in the 90s and seeing ads on TV all the time. Do you remember that when you were a kid? Oh, my God, yeah. And then like, <laughs> thinking about it now, they're, like, psychotic. Like, it's like, you know. Describe like, one, because I well, haven't I seen I mean, those. it's just, like, it starts with, like, a song, and it's, like— this Barbie, this Barbie, blah, blah, blah. And then the kids start, like, screaming things, like, oh, she can go underwater, or, like, you know, like, her hair changes color. And then the way that each Barbie is sold to you, it's sold to you as the best Barbie ever. Even though, like, they're going to keep rolling them out, you know, like, and every single time it's the Barbie you have to have. Were you interested in Barbie? See, I I definitely was interested in Barbie, but, like, for me, it wasn't possible in that moment in time. <laughs> so you you knew it was off the table, so it wasn't like you were even lusting after a Barbie as a kid. You just were sort of remember these ads playing. Yeah. And you dove back in to the ad. Yeah, revisited. And then I was looking at vintage um, pictures of Barbie ads or vintage mm-hmm. ads of Barbie. And that's when we did the first meeting. I was like, I've been looking at these vintage Barbie ads, I like the compositions. And then everyone seemed to be into it. And then Julia started working in on it. And then Julia has this thing. I, I always say Julia's right like 99.9 of the time. Set designer. Julia Wagner. Just, okay. So Sorry. she's set designer, but she works closely with a lot of photographers on the creative. Like she has oh, like so a she's lot more, of. She's kind of like a. Yeah. Girl. She's super clever, super smart. Um, and so she kind of was sitting with that and we were talking and then she kind of came back with the creative deck and it just was so much better than what I was thinking. <laughs> so, yeah. And so it's great too because she does the creative so she knows what's possible with the set. And for something like this when you're doing like constant set changes, you need someone to know how that works and what's possible. I love the, the playing with this idea of scale. Like it was just as you went through. I'm trying to imagine how when you arrive on set what you see because you you can't really get a sense of how you would create this in one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, the most complicated one, when you look at the picture, you wouldn't be able to tell. But it's right. um, What is the most complicated one? Margot for president. Really? Because if you look, there's these pins yeah. that she's wearing. And on the pre-light at the very end— What's a pre-light? Uh, so a pre-light— is what you do before a shoot, and you don't always get to do it when you have it. It's a luxury. Okay. And it sets you up to just, like, focus on the shoot instead of, like, trying to figure out if you're doing the right light or not. Who so it's, you... like, the day before. The day before, yeah. Okay. And then at the end, because we were set up with the lights, 
Margot wanted to do a picture, and Barbie for president or Margot for president, we had her wearing these pins with herself on them saying, like, vote for me, (laughs) Margot for president. This makes me laugh because Ethan and I worked on one shoot together, which was Elizabeth Warren when she was running for president. Wow. Completely different beat. Yeah. Different, different, different want to be president, yeah. but also different you know, president. a yeah, different yeah, yeah, presidential true, true. campaign from a strong woman. <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm going to embrace that. <laughs> Ethan, a podcast is hard, especially for Vogue, because it's not visual. We are all thinking about the shoot, and hopefully people are looking it up when they're listening to this. But can you describe, like, the scale? It's, it's, it's like an enormous Margot next to a ruler that makes her look... Tiny versus what are some of the other examples of how you sort of showed that scale? And and was it all manipulated with props or was some done afterwards? It was all done. There's only one picture that it wasn't the actual size. Okay. Um, we had like a six foot pencil. Wow. We so had like fun. Huge like. <laughs> Did um, you keep the pencil? Pins. No, no. no. <laughs> um, we had huge pins. Yeah, when when working girl Barbie might be my fave. Yeah, no, so no, good. that one's pretty good. It's pretty good, <laughs> and it's like that whole desk was. It was just Julia's team made these like boxes and then covered them with seamless paper, which you would never wow. know. And I think it's cool that we had a lot of the physical sets because of like everything happening with AI, mm-hmm. and we have um, BTS videos that are being published with the story, so oh, you'll be yeah. able to actually see the sets in their raw form. Because people, I imagine, will look at that and think it's, like, generated. Yeah, but I, I think love people that just assume, like, yeah. Wow. There's a, awesome. There's only one thing that is not actual size, and it's a, a large flower pot. Ah. Huh. That she's roller skating in front of. Okay. You know, I feel like we didn't get the sort of step-by-step. So you get the you get the shoot assignment for a Vogue cover, and then you start working on a Zoom call or a meeting with everyone about what it's going to look like. Are you making a mood board? Are you involved in picking the clothes? Are you choosing the locations? Like how – what is your process like for that? For me with clothes, I can – like flag if something isn't like amazing (laughs) but like at Vogue it's kind of like what has to be done has to be done (laughs) and when you go into Vogue you have to accept that Um, but I do really love fashion and rarely I'll be like this is god awful right and I think especially if someone has their personal style then that's like amazing but with clothes I feel like being in fashion for so long and it not being my job to be like oh we need this with this with this it's almost better for me to be just, like, surprised in the moment. But I love the clothes, and I love how they can transform and create characters. And I'm all about it. I'm just – I can't get that deep. I have to so like, you're not going to be mad when they say, we need to get the shoe. No. No, no, no. Like, I, like some photographers are like, ugh. No. I, I like, love – I love a foot. I love a shoe. <laughs> oh, well, let's a, talk like... about Barbie's foot. Oh, my God, I know God, the Barbie yeah. foot in the story. Yeah. So in the story where she's next to this yeah. life-size ruler, her, you see her little feet in the in the sort of like the Barbie feet where yeah. they're on permanent uh, Yeah, and heels. when it came out in the trailer, foot fetishes unite. Well, God, yeah, no, really I was so really glad excited. we got the foot like that yeah. because I saw on Twitter, like, everyone was, like, freaking about the feet. I was like, thank God. I know, like I know, I know. Um <laughs> yeah, it would have been incomplete. You really would have missed an opportunity to be uh, yeah. disseminated against yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the dark web. Yeah. 
Oh, my God. Uh, How closely do you and Anna work together? And what has that – are you ever – were you nervous the first time? I mean, she's much more involved, I would say, than most editors that I work with. Yeah. Like – I can see that. Everything – it's very much considered. And for me in the beginning, it was, like, very, like, you know – I mean, I'm, like, Devil Wears Prada generation, you know? (laughs) Right, right, right. So to, like – to be like working with her and like I don't know that's like a crazy dream come true so it took a second to like you know but I think she's incredible and so considered in a way that I think a lot of editors are not and you're very close with Hari Neff right and she's in it yeah no which is so crazy because Hari and I started together like I think she was one of the first people that I asked to take a picture of oh. because I used to be so shy. And so to see her in this film mm. and like playing like a proper role and it's like if someone would have told us that these things would be happening and be like, oh my God, like yeah. we saw it someone for ourselves, told you, but like, I don't know. In a decade, you guys will both be working on Barbie. Barbie. <laughs> no, which is so like, it's like, we, we, you just wouldn't have thought that film, no. but it's so cool. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, you worked for a while with the legendary David Armstrong. Maybe you can describe it. Better. I mean, so David was an incredible photographer and he worked a bit in fashion. How did you meet? I met him because he had asked to photograph me for his book, which is a bunch of portraits of male models in his home that he had in Bed-Stuy. And so he took my picture when I was 18, just arrived to New York, first major photographer I ever worked with. And when I was working with him, I told him, oh, I'm here in New York. I'm modeling because I want to be a photographer. Oh, so you knew. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. I knew at a very young age that what when? I wanted to do. I was like 14. Okay. Wow. What was the – do you remember like was there one fashion photogra- like photograph you looked at and you were like, I want to do that? I Like it's funny. It Like really I remember when I was – I don't know. Maybe I would have been four. I remember seeing like a Revlon ad. Oh, interesting. I don't know if it was Revlon or what it was, but they used the I'm Too Sexy for my song. (laughs) And I remember it was like a Linda Evangelista type with like this like blonde, like short haircut. And there was like a telephone booth. And I just saw it. And it, I don't know, there was something like. Like on a billboard in a magazine. It was like calling me. Like it was like this. I just like felt, I don't know. I was so young, but it just like. It was like, I don't know, the gravity in that moment was crazy. So I, I, for me, I didn't really, I wasn't exposed to proper fashion photography until I was probably 16. But going back to David, he had photographed me during that time of us working together or that first time I told him that I wanted to be a photographer. And then he right away told me, to use his space to take pictures without him seeing any of my work ever. He just right away offered that. And I I didn't have anything to show him at the time that I felt like confident to show him. So for a while he kept shooting me. I kept going there. I would go and hang out at the house. And then finally I was offered to do an online editorial for V-Man when I was, I I don't know, I would have been maybe 20 or 21. And so I reached out to him. and was like, oh, I finally have a story. And he's like, oh, come to the house. Use the house. I photographed my friend Charlie. And 
I was editing the first picture. He hadn't seen any of my pictures up until this moment. And I was sitting in his parlor. And he walked in. And he was like, Ethan doll. He's like, that's fucking divine. And then he just like, that gave me this like energy to just like, I don't know, it gave me so much confidence. Mm. He really was the first person who saw it for me. And what a person to see it for you. I mean... And were you still modeling then as you were starting to photograph? Or yeah, I had a real, like, fade in, fade out um, huh. moment. Is there anything you miss from modeling? <laughs> You're like, <laughs> nah. Ethan's face like, now says no. I don't no, <laughs> I mean, like, for me, for me, like, I am so grateful for it, and I was so lucky to be able to have that. It really gave me um, an eye into things that, most photographers do not get to see because like I in saw, what way? Well, I saw like every type of photographer work and how they mm. communicate with a model. And, you know, I've worked with the very like worst and I've worked with Steven Mizell. You know, I've I've worked with everyone. Oh, who are your favorite I mean, you you've you've obviously shot some really amazing people and of and you started out by shooting your friends and who do you enjoy shooting now? Is there someone you'd still love to? Someone who's on your bucket list? Yeah, person. who's the dream person? I would really like to work with Jim Carrey. <laughs> what? I would love to work with Jim oh Carrey. Oh my god, that was I a complete that. surprise. Yeah, like I, I love Jim Carrey. <laughs> I mean, amazing actor. Yeah, what no, is Jim Carrey up to? Good question. You, I'm know. sure. He, I'm sure he'd love to have his picture taken by you. I mean, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, yeah. No, I love Jim Carrey. Um, Did you grow up watching Jim Carrey movies? Oh, my God, yeah. What was your number one? I feel like Liar, Liar. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I need to go back to them. Um, and then, like, I mean, The Grinch. Yeah. That yeah. is, like, one of the best performances <laughs> ever. Like, that is insane. You know, like, that movie's going to stick around a long time. <laughs> like, it's that. amazing. <laughs> If you can name, like, who are the top three people you've shot that were the most exciting to you? I think Rihanna. Oh, yeah. That was my first Vogue cover ever. That, yeah, and she she comes with, you got to be ready for problem solve there. you got to yeah. be ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, oh, I shot, like, one. less than a month after. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You still shoot in black and white a lot, yeah? Honestly, I mean, with fashion, it's, like, very much, like, Probably more color now. But well, I mean, if I'm doing never it for myself, seen more color than this barbecue. That's why I was like, yeah, yeah. it's so far from black and white. I know. <laughs> if I'm doing it for myself, usually I like a little black and white. How come? What does it bring? I don't know. I shoot mainly digital. Okay. And so with black and white, it's like I know it's going to age good. Mm, okay. And a lot of my favorite photographers who are not fashion. It's black and white. Yeah, who are your favorite photographers? I mean, David Armstrong. Of course. Um, Stephen Mizell. Yes. Avedon, yeah. Penn, yeah. Arbus. I mean, you've also worked, I mean, you've worked not just in photos for us, but you work in videos for us. Um, and you you did a special project last, was it last year? I forgot, I'm mixing up oh, my Oh, the, the dark. Yeah. Oh, my Does God. It, did it, it, was a do, it was a documentary. Oh, the documentary, sorry. I thought I yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, um, I had been asked by Vogue to do a piece about "Don't Say Gay." It's like videos of celebrities talking, but I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, just even the name "Don't Say Gay." Like, it's like I just like I think it. It's leaving out like 
a group of people that's going to be hit way harder. You know, like, it, it, I, it's just, it, the whole entire thing is just so ignorant, I think. Mm. So I wanted to go to Texas, and I went with my really good friend Devin Diaz, who's an incredible writer. And Devin wrote the story. Right. Yeah. We did a doc about a little trans girl and her mother and little brother. And in a moment when um, it's a very scary time to be a trans kid, a trans person, but with this trans kid and, like, a parent that so clearly loves their child Mm -hmm. that they've gone down this path with them. You know, like, I don't think anyone who's going to go down the path of... Were they attempting to leave Texas because of the situation? I Well, the, the hard thing is, like, they they knew they had to leave, but it's something that not everyone can afford to do. Mm. And a lot of the affordable options are red states that you're not really right. going to be... Right, safe. Yeah. Um, and so it's like you have this parent that loves her daughter so much who comes from a Christian background. Um, and for me, that was like a really big thing when we chose the family that we worked with because I I grew up like evangelical and oh, wow. to like f- see a family that was very similar but a mother who was affirming her trans child that was so and maintaining her faith which mm-hmm. I found so incredible that someone would be able to do both things because usually you're as a queer person you're kind of like forced to choose like you feel like you have to like it's one or the other and this was the first time that i was really seeing the opposite of that and it was just very eye-opening to something that's happening in the country that like you wouldn't know unless you love someone who's really dealing with it i can't believe we're in this position in this in this country it just seems so yeah it's it's ridiculous. We're so happy you took the time out Thank to do this. Thank you so this. much for coming. Yeah, it. No, it, was it was congratulations. So we love this cover. Our next guest on the pod is an actor and a true fashion icon, mostly because she just loves fashion so much, and that is Elle Fanning. And Choma, you recently got to hang out with Elle. I did. I was was so lucky. She was my seatmate at the Met Gala. And I, you know, she came with this beautiful crown of daisies and she also had a bouquet, which I tried to pry out of her hands, but (laughs) she was not having it. But we had a really fun conversation about fashion. I just thought she'd be such a fun guest to have on the show because she really enjoys it. We spoke to her right before she was off to the Cannes Film Festival and just as season three of The Great premiered. It is a show inspired by the life of Catherine the Great with Elle in the starring role. And she also executive produces the show. So she's wearing quite a few hats and also wearing quite a spectacular Cannes look. She couldn't say too much because, you know, we recorded the show right before Cannes. So she was pretty tight-lipped about her looks. But then, obviously, they were just as spectacular as you'd imagine. There was a gorgeous McQueen dress that she wore with a a sequin encrusted bodice and this long kind of flowing skirt that was just, you know, lived up to everything you want from from Cannes and from Elle, who really embraces the challenge of Cannes with both hands. 
How are you? We're so excited to see you. Oh my God, me too. <laughs> Yay, we're doing it. <laughs> well, I was just watching the trailer of the, the new season of The Great and you have some great, great outfits in the trailer. Um, tell us. Oh my if, God, the yeah. costumes are just heaven. Are they so much fun or are they, they sort of a nightmare? <laughs> they, well, they're a little bit of both. I mean, yeah. the workmanship is absolutely amazing. I mean, all the the costumes on the show are, you know, handmade and designed and Sharon Long is our costume designer who she did season two and now season three. And she's just a genius with fabrics, especially kind of what she comes up with. There's a twall that I wear this year. I think we used it on the poster, but it's a twall that she designed that has elements from like seasons past. Like we have bears and oh, there's wow. a, a dog on a parachute that's in and people having sex on my twall. <laughs> oh my well. gosh. So you should make real... it into pillowcases. I want that. I, I I think I told her, I think she actually gave me a pillow with it on it, but I want pajamas. Oh, good, oh good. that's good. That's amazing. A great twall pajama set would be. Yes. Yeah. I need, we need to sell those. Who <laughs> should sell those? That would be a really. <laughs> I'll bring it up. I will bring it up. But then of course, you know, the, yeah, the uncomfortability, which people talk about, you know, the corsets. Yeah takes getting used to, but I also, I like corsets. So okay. we were glad we don't have to wear them anymore, but there is something about that feeling. I'm like, I, I like it. I'm like tighter, tighter. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I had to wear a corset after I had a C-section. It like, it keeps you in, you know, it's sort of, you Your feel like better. Yeah. yeah. The posture thing is, is real. I've been being, I got fitted for a corset for the first time for the Met and it was game changing. Oh yeah, your dress was sort of a corset. It did, it did. And and the designer, uh, Claire Sullivan, she's very inspired by Vivian Westwood. And I think, was there a corset under your, or no, under your lace? There was. There was. There There's was. always a corset yeah, with, with Vivian It wasn't Westwood. extremely tight, this one, you know, because it was a looser shape, but there was a corset for sure. No one does it better. My God. <laughs> best. Yeah. You've worn some pretty amazing Vivian Westwood dresses. Well, everyone dresses. Yeah, I know. I know. I feel like it's rare that you're doing the red carpet for as long as you have been doing it. And from as young, do you have any, like, what's the, are there any red carpet regrets where you're like, ah, that was really not the right call? I don't like to regret anything. (laughs) It's a great great approach. But, you know, you look back and you're, you're like a teenager having free reign. I think my one regret I did a fake bang once on a red carpet. Okay. What outfit was that with? It was actually a Versace. It was a great dress. And looking back on it now, I was, I wanted to go for the like Claudia Schiffer, like, you know, that bang look. And I don't have bangs. And I honestly should have just pulled my hair back. Like sometimes you're just like, why didn't I just like slick it back? And like, it would have been cheaper, but. How do you and your stylist work together? Like what's, what's the process? Let, let's say, you know, can is up close upon us. You've been quite a can. Yes. And I'm, I'm going again. Oh, you oh you're are. going. Oh, amazing. Yes. And I have my dress. It's very special. <laughs> oh, can you tell us or not? Not yet. I'm excited. Well, I say it's McQueen. Oh. Uh, so you choose this incredible McQueen dress. How do you and Samantha get there? Well, we, Samantha McMillan, my stylist, we've worked together since I was 13. Wow. Oh my gosh. So she has evolved with me 
you know, I, I tried some people out, but then Samantha just was the complete fit. And she had already been working with my sister as well. So she was, mm-hmm. we like to keep things all in the family, like the people around us, we get very attached to and very close to. And once you're in, you're in and like, you see it all. And that's just the way that it works for, for me. Um, and Samantha is just, we have such an intimate relationship and we're always texting and I like looking at the collection. So I send her selects and things that I like, and she tries to, to get them. But I think she's also really seen my style evolve and evolved with me because I think for a long time we were trying to make me, you know, have fun with fashion, which, cause I, fashion was always a happy place for me. I felt mm-hmm. accepted by the fashion community. Whereas like in school, People wanted, you know, you want to wear skinny jeans and like American apparel and (laughs) T-shirts. And I just like wasn't that girl. And I definitely tried to morph into that for a bit. Um, And then I was like, oh, no, that's not me. You know, it was probably so a guy would like me. Um, But (laughs) it was, um, yeah, Samantha also, you know, growing up, I think we tried to also not make me look too like sexy. Like you can, Mm. you know, of course. There was something like that balance there that was um, still maintaining the youthful quality and and all of that, that now that I've gotten older where we get, you know, it opens more doors and you can experiment more. But yeah. And if you're, I mean, you were the youngest jury member ever at Cannes a few years ago. So you had a lot of red carpet dressing to handle yeah. there. What's What's the secret for that biggest red carpet? I think that there's so many ways you can go, but I do think you have to be impactful and it has to look good from all angles, which is not always true on every oh, interesting. carpet because it, it is like the Met that they're, you know, it's two-sided. So the photographers are behind you and in front of you. So it's like, and like drones. I feel like you always see overhead totally. drones. <laughs> and I mean, it's just, it's so massive. It's such a big carpet that you, you do want an element of drama and it has to have a 360 good view and like creating those shapes. Like we always think about like angles and Mm. and shapes, especially in can. Um, And yeah, gosh, I mean, you can go anyway. I always tend to go with the old Hollywood glamor of it all because it just feels so, it feels like glamorous and kind of that 1950s. Yeah. That Dior look you wore at Cannes was incredible. That was one of my favorites. Yeah. Stephen Jones, you designed that hat. Mm. What movie are you going to Cannes for? It, I'm going actually with L'Oreal Makeup because they okay. sponsor it. So they invite their ambassadors to come pretty much every Lovely. Yeah. So if I'm available, I will be there. <laughs> I always say I thrive in Cannes. Like, I'm like, it is <laughs> good things happen to me there. <laughs> Um, I, I I was kind of um, I loved hearing that you found you shopped for you wore vintage um, for one of your several proms you wore vintage Galliano and you went you went shopping for it. Do you like vintage shopping in LA because there's so many great places? I mean, you're obviously a fashion nerd. How do you keep up with fashion and what's happening? Well, it used to be Style.com, remember? Which yeah. I was like such a Style.com nerd, and I would like <laughs> have like folders on my computer, like oh my oh god. My god. And I loved like Jim Award, and I was like, oh, hey, like you know, yeah. and just like just all I knew all the models, and I was like just so obsessed. Um, but yes, now it is definitely Vogue Runway. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, vintage shopping. I feel like I don't go as much as I used to when I was smaller. But play clothes is a big one that's still a staple. Oh. 
here in LA that oh, I love. I've never been. I need to go there. Gollyester is a really good. I, I, I remember I was how old? Maybe I have no idea. 11, like 12, probably 12. Me and my best friend went to a Katy Perry concert and I was like, I have to look amazing for Katy Perry. Like even though she's <laughs> never going to see me, but I had this, like, I was like, I have to like look great. And and I went to Gollyester because I think I read in a magazine that she went to Gollyester. So I was like, okay, hey, I'll go to the store. And I found this amazing orange romper with light blue bows on the shorts and it had bells inside of the shorts. So when you walked, you jingled (laughs) and it was like, it had Katy Perry written all over and I wore it with huge platform, like orange um, sandals, but like wooden wedges. And it just, it was one of my best outfits to date. I will say. Do you and Dakota ever share clothes? We used to. I used to steal her clothes all the time when I was younger, but now there's a big height difference. I'm much taller and bigger feet. And so I can't do it anymore. We loved hearing that, uh, or reading that you and Dakota used to uh, reenact scenes from the Devil Wears Prada. (laughs) All the time. And she was always Miranda, of course. (laughs) Bossing me around. We would put like, you know, Coca-Cola in coffee mugs. (laughs) <laughs> make it look like coffee and we set up all I mean, we had the full desks when we would play it was like taken very seriously like we were already our acting chops were already starting because oh we were my doing- god that's hysterical yeah 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 I, I was always the assistant like running around I was little <laughs> never get to be the main person <laughs> with her <laughs> I, I'm curious to know what do you like to wear you know, on your off days, on your, what's the off duty look and what, what labels are you feeling? I was thinking like, what is my signature outfit? Like if my mm. friends asked, and I think they would say it's a white dress. Like you can't go wrong with a flowy white dress or like any, it just, it works. You can accessorize it. And I, I have a lot of white dresses. I probably need, and a lot of like blue striped button downs but I'm like I can't you when you when I see something like blue in the store I'm always like oh yes I have to have this like okay enough I can't just like, buy every white dress and light blue skirt it's like insane um but I I mean I love the row I love the row ah, <laughs> I, I, would, I wouldn't strike you as a row girl because you know your 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 style's quite whimsical and romantic and they're quite it's much more it, sort of pared back we're minimalist yeah, yeah. totally I like playing with that. I think off duty, I'm probably a little bit more minimal mm. than I am on the red carpet. When you were growing up, who were the people you looked up to as far as style? Alexa Chung was my number one. Uh. And I went to the Met Ball with her and Tycoon one year. And I heard that she was like the other guest and freaking out. And the very, very first <laughs> Met Ball I ever went to, I met her in passing. Um, and she complimented my outfit and I just like <laughs> freaked out. Like now since since I know her, but she was someone like I had posters of her like on my wall and things like oh, that. That's so um, cute. I just think I liked her, you know, the twist, like she like had that the tomboy and the 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 cutesy girl. I mean, I guess kind of quite sixties that really works yeah. for her, but that was like what I was always going for when I was when I was younger. Now I think I've kind of, I have my own 
thing, but I definitely looked up to her. Like Sylvie Vartan, like I had a lot of like posters of her. Wow. I don't even know who that is. Jesus. Is that me? <laughs> no, okay. The name oh, is familiar. Oh, the name is I'm familiar. Like, who? Uh, Sylvie Vartan. What is, she's like a 60s um, French singer. Oh, like, okay. Bardo vibe, I guess, but. It was a lot of, it was very 60s growing yeah, up. Yeah, very Bardo vibes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Grace Kelly, I, I want to play yeah. her movie. I'm like, that's my goal oh, one day. Is that your dream, dream role? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be just because I want to kind of wear that Cartier ring. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she for sure is someone that I still think about on the, like for the red carpet, because I think you want to look timeless and there is something like a nod to that glamour of yesteryear. Like you can't go wrong because there's nothing worse than dating yourself. I think mm. you're on a carpet, right. you know, like I think about that a lot with like wedding day, which is so far off, but I'm like, you have to look, has to be timeless. Can you tell us about what projects you have coming up? Yes, there, um, actually there's a, there, there's a couple things that aren't announced yet that are really exciting, but there is one that's um, announced with, with um, Chris Abbott um, and Jessica Chastain is producing this oh, one. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's called Made of Orleans. We have to figure out when we're going to make it, but it's kind of about the power dynamics on a set between the director and his assistant. Oh, oh cool. Interesting. Yeah. So See, you're, you're an assistant again, like the Devil's Prada. <laughs> exactly. I'm typecast. <laughs> It all comes back. This is no, this is the role I've been training for. <laughs> Getting coffees, doing that, like that's right. That's so funny. <laughs> Do you think? I mean, the great I, last season really ended on a cliffhanger, so I'm very curious to see what's happening now. Do you miss it when the seasons end? Do you feel like you're you know Catherine really well? I do. I feel like, well, the first, when we shot the pilot, I was 20. Now I'm 25. So this oh, show wow. has been a part of my life for the most formative, you know, years of my life thus far. So she shaped me in a lot of ways. And I'm also an executive producer on the show. So, How has that I, been different approaching a project like that? It, it, you know, it was different at first because I had never really done it before because I did come on board they let me come on board right away, like w before the show was even sold. Like the show was actually a movie at the time and we all decided that it would be a show. So I saw it from the very start, which was such a learning experience. But also I think I learned to really use my voice and stand up for myself, which is kind of like my character because Catherine is thrown into these situations and she's quite young and you can doubt yourself. And I definitely went through the doubting phase, but I had to also realize, you know, tell myself, you know what, you've been acting since you were two and you have been on a lot of <laughs> film sets and you do know what you're talking about. You know, like don't, you know, don't let someone just because you're a young woman, like tell you that you don't know what you're talking about. So I've, I've definitely learned that I mean, not, not on this show, they're all really great, but just with other producing projects and being in rooms with people that you aren't normally in rooms with as an actor. So it's been really exciting. And now I feel quite comfortable in the position, I will say, through doing the show. Did you do a lot of crazy research for Catherine or did you want to just sort of be your own Catherine? Yeah, I tried to do some research, but then Tony McNamara, who's our showrunner, writer, he wrote The Favorite, um, very tonally similar and mm. things, but he 
you know, I was like, okay, so I'm going to do all this research and everything. And he's like, you don't need to do that. Like our show is, we pride ourselves on the fact that it's not historically accurate. Um, But I did discover, you know, I did a few, she created the roller coaster, which we should. I don't know if you've seen furniture ever. It is covered in vaginas and penises (laughs) carved out of wood. What? She was wow. a huge, um, well, that's where the horse rumor came from is it was um, basically like the first form of slut shaming. Cause they said that she fucked a horse. And so, right. Because she and had, do we so- think she did, or she just was a sexually no. liberated individual? I think she was a sexually liberated individual. I think <laughs> she had a lot of lovers and loved sex and, you know, that also is a woman in charge. And so they had to belittle her in mm-hmm. yeah. ways. It was all, I guess it's kind of the let them eat cake situation. Yeah. Another misunderstood monarch. Right. Yeah. Aren't they all? Elle, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what is, we're obviously, we're sort of a fashion and culture podcast and we like to hear, what are you listening to, reading, watching lately? Like what's your cultural diet at the moment? I mean, I do. I watch Succession every Sunday. Me too. <laughs> what am I listening to? Well, I mean, still Katy Perry or not? Yeah, I love Katy <laughs> You know what I do watch, which is like no one watches, but I still do. American Idol. Oh <laughs> wow! Wow, shocker! Now I'm really surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So there you go. I watch also like the uh, Stanley Tucci did the Searching for Italy while I'm watching Searching for Mexico uh, with Eva Longoria. Oh uh, wow! Okay. Are you a big cook? What What are you cooking these days? What's your I What's am- I, you know, I go through real moments with my cooking. Like I will cook all the time and in bursts, and then I will just not cook at all and just be ordering food and like, <laughs> can't stop doing that. So right now I'm not in a cooking phase, but I did have like a lot of Italian cooking phase. Like I was mm. like making my pasta and just trying, trying that out. I definitely am a savory. I'm not a baker as much. I did make some like shoe pastry, like eclairs that were good, that worked. Mm-hmm. That's, That's impressive. complicated. But I can follow directions pretty well. I'm an actor, so I have to, I guess, <laughs> follow directions. But I would love to go off somewhere and take cooking classes. That would be really fun. I'll do that one day. I'll tell us about your skin, because I feel like I was listening to a uh, interview you did with Conan O'Brien and you guys were talking about how being really pale means that you can't really be outside in the heat doing sports and also that you just have to be sunscreened up all the time. <laughs> Gosh, I know that was my life. Like the smell of that, my mom, like, and she's like, you know, like when the moms are just like rubbing their kids down, like they're just bodies moving. It's like, Oh, I, that feeling. <laughs> and that was me. I'm like, Totally. But I mean, I will thank her later for sure about, (laughs) I mean, I'm playing tennis now, so Mm. I am actually daring to go out and, and play, but I just have to put sunscreen on. I always wear like a little visor. I go through like hard times with my skin and then great times. And it's just hormones are crazy. I mean, we all know that, but it just, and I'm just so sensitive and traveling that doesn't Help. But then sometimes it does. Like you're like, ooh, this water's really good. Like, <laughs> like LA water. I live in the valley, and it's so bad. London's not great for. I hate London water for my hair. Oof, it's so hard. Better than LA, but I think oh. yeah, it's. I guess it's not. New York is the best. 
Yeah, I agree. This is like absurd. But, they, you know, they bring in New York water for to make bagels. Yeah, it's true. They do. You know? like, yes, that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Can't get a good bagel in London. No, no. because of the water. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Like, you know, like also like breakfast sandwiches. It's like. Yeah, they don't. We don't do that. We don't do that. Uh-uh. Don't do breakfast that. Yes. sandwiches. Listen no. to the disdain in Choma's voice. We don't do that. Breakfast <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm not a, a sandwich like? fan. You're Mm-mm. not a sandwich fan. Mm-mm. Period or just for in the morning? Period. I just don't. No. Uh-uh. I, so that is where we, that's where we differ. I'm like, a, <laughs> that's the one thing we differ. <laughs> I am a huge sandwich fan. Almost so much that I think my last meal might be a deli. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. No, I like <laughs> I literally had a Subway sandwich in ministry. <laughs> God bless. I really appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Have you ever had Jersey Mike's? What? Yes. No. Jersey Mike's was a thing for me in, in college. What is that? That's not for you, Choma. Okay. It's too pedestrian. <laughs> <laughs> not for you. It is not for you. I just My like answer. hot food. I, I'll take a warm sandwich or like a press sandwich, but not Oh, Elle, what's your Subway order? Okay, I, well, I make my own. I get six inch on wheat <laughs> with um, <laughs> turkey, American cheese, um, a lot of lettuce. I love that crunchy. I love the crunch. I love the crunch. I do banana peppers, mm. a lot of mayo and yellow mustard. And that's it. Okay. Uh, before we're going to let you go, but I was chuckling <laughs> that, uh, apparently when you were 13 on Conan, you told him your favorite food was a Cobb salad and it like made news for weeks. <laughs> really? Why? Why would that make? Why would people we- were interested? I know. I mean, how dumb. I know. <laughs> well, Cobb salad is like a sandwich, but without sandwich. So that makes sense. <laughs> you think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Elle, thank you so, so uh, much. We're so, so excited to watch season three. Have a fab, fab time in Cannes. Thank you, guys. I hope, yeah, we, we really covered it all. That's it for this episode of The Run Through. The Run Through of Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis, Gabe Kiroga, and Kevin Barasa, and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you next week. Hi, guys. I'm Celeste, and I'm here with Jade and Emily, and we are so excited to announce our new show, After Hours. We're three female founders who became friends through, well, trauma bonding over entrepreneurship. These days, we come together after work to discuss the highs, lows, and hilarious moments we all experience as we build our companies in our 20s as first-time founders. We're dishing advice, spilling secrets we wish we knew so you don't have to make the same mistakes we did, oversharing in the best ways, giving our legal teams anxiety, and peeling back the curtains behind startup life. So close your computers, we know it's hard, and pour yourself a glass of something because After Hours is now in session. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. <laughs> 